People-first companies understand that employees are their most valuable asset. These forward-thinking companies treat all of their people practices, especially hiring, as strategic rather than administrative functions. I'm Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse, and this is People First, a podcast celebrating the work of leaders dedicated to building people-first cultures. In this episode, I'm talking with two amazing leaders from WPP, Jennifer Remling, Global Chief People Officer, and Robin Tombacker, Global Chief People Operations Officer. We'll talk about how to foster internal mobility, as well as how to shift your leadership style from command and control to support and empower, and the importance of having senior women leaders. Please welcome Jennifer Remling and Robin Tombacker. I'm super excited. I have two phenomenal leaders here. And thank you just for saying yes to be on the People First podcast. Tell the audience your name and what you do and your favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, that's an easy one. (laughs) (laughs) So hi, I'm Robin Tombacker, uh, Global Chief People Operations Officer, WPP. I got that out. It was a mouthful. (laughs) Let's see. My favorite flavor is coffee. Nice. Yes. Nice. Yes. I am pretty much based in New York City. I live outside the city in Westchester. And, you know, I've been at WPP now for six plus years. I'm a mobility story. I started out at Wonderman before it was even Wonderman Thompson as head of operations and then COO of North America. I worked on the integration of Wonderman and J. Walter Thompson, which was a real interesting time bringing together those two like historic brands and trying to figure out the path forward. And then um, just as sort of like the pandemic started, Jennifer and I, who had worked together before, kind of reconnected. She had just moved over to take the role as chief people officer at Group M. And we were talking about like what I could do next. And she's like, don't go anywhere. Just come work with me and we'll figure it out. And so back in 2020, I shifted out of the role at Wonderman Thompson to WPP, but really Group M to work with Jennifer on thinking about workforce management, but maybe more holistically, like what is the sort of future state of a a people function. We were doing that together at Group M for a few years, and then I joined her at WPP in March of last year. So it's, you know, about a year plus more that I've been doing this role, and it's awesome. Well, Robin, you're still smiling. (laughs) I'm always pretty much smiling. It (laughs) takes a lot. You know, Jennifer and I have gone through a lot in this business, so, you know, you try to not take things as seriously and just try to do as best as you can and just... I think with both of us, I think we really believe that what we're doing is going to make an impact and make a difference, and that's what keeps us going. So, And we laugh a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And you laugh a lot. And we We laugh a lot. We have to have fun. There we go. And then, of course, I know who you are, but please tell the listeners who (laughs) you are, what you do, what brings you joy, and what's your favorite ice cream flavor. Okay. Thanks, Donald. No, thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be here. So I'm the Chief People Officer for WPP. Similar to Robin, I've been at WPP for seven years. Started out at Essence in 2016, just as Essence was acquired by WPP. And then Christian Jewell, who was the CEO of Essence, he was promoted into the Group M job, asked me to come with him to Group M, which was a giant leap for me. I went from 2,500 employees to 36,000. Oh, wow. And then two years later, um, Mark asked me to come do the WPP job. So I've been in this role for about a year and a half. And, you know, we have 110,000 employees. 
So it's been a very interesting journey kind of coming out of the operating companies and then kind of doing the, the WPP HQ role. My favorite ice cream is salted caramel, and I try not to have very much of it, but nice. I do love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. What brings me joy is I love the work that I do. And like, as Robin said, we really do believe that there's a huge opportunity for impact. And I look at what we do in the world and the impact that I think we have more broadly in terms of the reach. You think about our clients being the world's largest brands, the work that we, we do around social justice, around DE&I, et cetera. It's just tremendous body of work. It's yeah. what gets me out of bed in the morning. And then also knowing how to balance that with like life, taking a break and getting out and walking and spending time with my husband and friends. And I've learned, I think, at this stage of my life to find a way to, in the round, you know, enjoy life. So, yeah. Yeah. I do need you to start eating more salted caramel ice cream. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Jenny's fan. Oh, wow. And uh, so I, I've been eating a lot of pancakes and waffles. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Which is a yeah. new one she came one, out yeah. with. <laughs> I feel like this woman intentionally goes in the kitchen and says, let me figure out how I can get him to buy more pints. Um, but ice cream is a great happy place. I think another yeah. great happy place, though, is when you're working with amazing leaders. And so, Robin, for you to choose to opt in to work with Jennifer again, <laughs> that tells me a lot about the experience that you've had with her. One of the things that I try to subscribe to is like making sure that I'm a people first leader. But I recognize so many people have a different definition for what that means. So. I'm curious, how would you define what a people-first leader is? I probably like inherently think I'm a people-first leader just because of who I am. There's a lot of leaders that I've, you know, sort of experienced over my career. And the ones that stand out are the ones that think about how to sort of empower and, you know, excite the people that work around them. You know, leaders who who sort of take all the credit or like suck the oxygen (laughs) out of the room, like those are not the people that are going to get the great results that they can out of the people that work for them. So I think being a people-first leader is really just like the definition of being a great leader Yeah. because you have to figure out like what are those strengths and weaknesses? What are those things that make people who they are? I, you know, I'll go back a little bit. Like I started out in the digital advertising industry as a producer and as a project manager, and I had to figure out how to get talent to work together to produce great work. And that's really about understanding at the core people's capabilities, figuring out like, okay, you know, this person's really creative, this person's very technical, but how do they kind of work as a team and use their strengths and weaknesses? So a people-first leader is the definition of today's leader. Mm. That's that's strong because there's a lot of people that are today's leaders or in, in leadership roles mm-hmm. that don't live up to that responsibility of being people-first. Like, Jennifer, how do you think about being a people-first leader? And then, like, how do you make sure that you live up to that responsibility Mm -hmm. that you have? Because clearly you're making a great impact, or Robin wouldn't have opted to work with you (laughs) again. Well, you know, I think it's funny. I grew up in recruiting. So I started out my career out of college working at a search firm in Atlanta and then kind of went into the corporate side. And I was in recruiting until 2016. And I wanted to kind of tell this story because it sort of goes to the whole idea of being people-first. So I worked at RGA. We were doing, you know, a ton recruiting, you know, bringing in great creative talent, the kind of talent that was winning wars we won at Cannes, Creative Company of the Year that year. But what I was finding was we would do all this great work bringing people in, but I didn't like the experience they were having when they got there, Mm. right? So I was looking at what was happening in the HR function, and I thought there was a huge opportunity to evolve that to be much more people first. And to me, that's really about creating experiences for people 
that unleash the power of their potential, right? Giving them the opportunities, treating people as a human being. And I think, too, the thing that we're seeing right now is like, it's more like personalized leadership. You can't do a one-size-fits-all approach because everybody's so different. They have different life stages. They have different unique situations that they're going through, different unique talents. So you have to really adjust your leadership to suit the individuals that you're working with. I mean, that can sound overwhelming. You build the muscle in learning how to do that and to care about people as humans first and not just sort of resources to do the work. Yeah, I think that's the key difference. I mean, I don't want to age us in any way. <laughs> I do think that a lot of this comes with time and experience and trust that you will get the best out of people if you're not sort of like command and control. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we still have people in leadership who think they're not going to get the results unless they are command and control. Yeah, we talk a lot yeah. about support and empower. Yeah. Right? Like a sort yeah. of the mantra. Walk me through how you define support and empower, because I can imagine some of the people in control believe <laughs> that they're also yeah. supporting and empowering people, but they have to do it in a, in a controlled environment. Well, I mean, to me, support and empower is really giving people the, the platform, right? Mm-hmm. I think as you, as you get to be a leader, the thing yeah. I try to do is bring people into the room and let them present and be the person who's sharing the work that they did. I don't want to present other people's work. Mm-hmm. I want people to be in the room sharing their work, and I want to give them the platform. I think on our own team, you know, and empowering people to feel free to have ideas and like push for things that may not be successful because that's how you get to good results. And I think if you feel like you're supported and empowered, you can come up with breakthrough ideas. And if you're in a command and control environment, it stifles creativity. It stifles energy. It takes the oxygen out of the room. And I've been working with some of the leaders who have had the feedback that they are command and control and trying to help them operate differently. And what does that look like? Are they coachable? Not everybody, but I I would say that, you know, some of the toughest people I've worked with, when you start to talk about support and empower versus command and control, you see the light bulb go off. And like when you start to give examples of that, I've seen a few leaders just really hugely transform in the last few years. And it's also like, how do you support and empower them through their change? That's quite a reframe for a leader around command and control versus support and empower? Because I can imagine both groups actually want to have positive impact or a positive yeah. outcome. Mm-hmm. But the way that they go around or go about creating that impact, I think is different. Walk me through this. So there's a lot of conversations with people in our roles right now talking about business needs versus people needs. It's like the hot topic. Yes. Everybody's trying to yes. figure out, can you do both? Does yeah. one come before the other one? How do you all view that? Well, I'll, I'll um, kick yeah, that off because I sure. think one thing that's really interesting about WPP, and I think for people who might be listening who don't really know our company, okay. I think we are 110,000 people, but we're a company of a bunch of different acquisitions over the years. We have, I don't even know how many entities right now. It's probably, I think we're down to 200, but it used to be 400. 200 entities? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. But we have and multiple know, brands underneath yeah. those entities. Yeah. yeah. So we have, you know, like nine really big groups, but there's a lot of entities underneath those groups. So Mark Reed, our current CEO, took over in 2018. The company was, we had an anti-poaching policy. <laughs> so meaning you really couldn't move between companies. So if you were at working in Ogilvy, you know, Ogilvy is one of our brands, Wonderman Thompson. We've got um, VML Y&R, a lot of the big iconic brands in the business. Yeah. And so you couldn't go and work for another company. I mean, if, if you really stop and think about that, how hmm. stifling is that? So people literally had to leave the company to go and have other opportunities. So Mark came in in 2018 and 
the idea was to really start to have an executive team who have aligned goals, you know, starting to think very differently. He was saying he wanted to be more like an LVMH or a Disney operating it from a very different way. So like it was very siloed companies, didn't interact, didn't have any power of, of scale, right? So what we did was we really changed that and we created this whole thing called Career Explorer and where people started to move around. But if you think about going from like, I mean, I remember back in the day and I was in the company, I got in trouble for talking to somebody in another operating company. Like literally the fear was in me when I got called out on it. And it was like an unintentional thing. I didn't yeah. even know it was one of our entities because there's so many. So you fast forward to today, we had like 80% increase in people who were implying internally and moving around. Wow. So I think if you think about people first, like people want to have access to opportunities within the company that they're in. And how do you make that front and center? And how do they engage with learning opportunities and things that help them grow and expand? So that was, that's been a big, big shift for us. Yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, I think in terms of like what that does to improve business results is if you think about the cost of turnover, and that's just like on the employee side, but even when you think about what happens when people leave the company, we also potentially put client revenue at risk. So now we're giving the opportunity to say, we're going to try to protect that by keeping our people in WPP, giving them the feeling that they can grow their skills, learn new trades, and get new experiences and stay. And that all hopefully floats to the top, if you will, in terms of business results. Because again, I'll take my old hat on, like as a COO, whenever we would lose clients or we would lose a, a business stream within a client, a lot of it was always coming back to people. So the people are our product. They're the people that deliver the work. And if we don't invest in them and don't really sort of like put our sort of money where it needs to be in terms of investment, it was really going to have an impact on business. So all of this, all of the things that we're doing, we think like even though it might feel like it's people first, ultimately it will have an impact. Yeah, I'm sitting here listening to both of you and... Both of your stories of moving up and across the business under the WPP umbrella. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even fathom how your own growth would have been stifled if the company would have kept with that policy around not allowing people to move. For those leaders who may not have a Robin or a Jennifer at their organization, how can they foster an environment that promotes that level of internal mobility? We embarked on doing that. I mean, this is it's so silly, but like aggregating all of the open roles across the group and making that public, we got a lot of pushback from our executives in, in the agencies, right? And so we had to build trust. And I think this would go to any advice you'd give. So the idea is like, what we had to say to them was like, look, you are going to lose people, but you're going to lose them to the network and you're going to hopefully gain as many as you lose, right? So you create this sort of virtuous cycle. Um, what's funny is, we did the numbers last year, there was almost exact reciprocity. Oh, so like, wow. for example, I think Wonderman Thompson, they lost 18% and gained 19%. The data proved out, thank goodness. But I think it's that whole thing of trust is, the, I think, at the heart of moving away from a command and control environment to a support and empower. It's like trusting that you're going to get what you need and that you're going to get the right talent and that it's all going to work. Having trust across all of the group. Got to be the people team, working closely with finance, working closely with operations, working closely with our client leaders and our CEOs. It all has to work together. It sounds like the ecosystem. It's like an ecosystem. It is, yeah. That's completely dependent on one another. Yeah. 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 
One of the things that we're about to launch, which we're super excited about, is a platform that I think, to your point, will help unlock an opportunity for someone who's maybe not as senior or not as connected across the organization to get exposure to mobility. So we're calling it Career Pathways. We're partnering with a platform called Fuel50. And we're looking at how we take sort of like our all our open positions to sort of expose our opportunities through Career Explorer. We did for the first time last year, we put in place a job architecture. So coming back to like the complexity of our business, you could be CEO at one company and you could be an SVP at another company. Things were not on par. So we've been able to take this job architecture that now sort of like works across the organization, put it into the platform. And at least now we're giving people an understanding of like, what does it take to sort of like be on par and be consistent so you can move across the organization? And then we're going to give them the opportunity to like share what skills they have, look at what career sort of progression they want to get to, and then see through AI, like what kind of skills do they need to have in order to advance, whether that's upward or or sideways or, or what have you. So we think that's a great opportunity. We're piloting it with one of our agencies who are just super excited about the possibility here. And we hope to expand that out across WPP over the next year or so. The intentionality behind having a structure or framework around careers is huge. There was a survey we saw, I think it said like 40% of the respondents said that half the reason they choose to check out of their organization is because they don't understand how they're going to be able to grow in their career. Like career trajectory seems like something that's completely just hidden. Yeah, like a pay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. right. So that having a framework or a structure that has to be helpful. I'm just curious, I want to pivot a little bit. Both of you are senior women leaders inside of your organization. And the way that you talk about Jennifer is like a very positive light. And I've seen like in organizations where minority groups, whether it's women or people of color, that they may not have that level of support. For the folks that may be figuring out how do they climb up and across their organization, can you talk to me just a little bit, Robin, around like what does that look like to have? someone who's at least intentional around your own growth? Because it sounds like she approached you with an opportunity. <laughs> Not that you necessarily know, I knew think about it. was it. probably mutual. <laughs> we were just so excited to like, you know, find a way back to, to be together. So, yeah. No, I mean, I, I said to Jennifer the other day, I feel like it's a gift to be able to work with her and, and closely as a team. Certainly, both of us have done our time in a fairly male-dominated business, a fairly not as diverse kind of business as it should be. And I think this has been a wonderful opportunity to like see how Jennifer is, you know, providing sort of leadership as a female across the organization. And then hopefully I'm doing the same and we're bringing that out to everybody else that we interact and engage with. Being a woman in the business and, you know, like I said, I've, I've sat on executive teams where I'm the only woman in the room. That's a hard place to be, and it's a hard place to be if you're the only person of color in the room. I mean, that's never easy. And I think by example, I hope that everyone sees that we're here to support and empower each other and not here to, like, knock each other down. You know, really, like, we need to build strength in in sort of numbers, and, and hopefully, you know, we see that more and more across the organization. Yeah. What helped me, it's going to be a call out to somebody in particular, okay. his name is Daniel Diaz. Okay. When I was at RGA, I was kind of one of the only females 
and and you know, Robin was also another female in this we were the environment, only ones right? In there. Yeah. Um, and we were having all these great conversations. And he's like, Jennifer, you have great ideas. Like you need to be in the room. And so he would bring me into the room and then he'd say, Hey, Jennifer has some ideas on this. And he would give me the opportunity to feel comfortable speaking up. I always felt a little bit intimidated at that time. And so he really gave me the the platform, if you will. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to do the same for others. It's like, how do I have other people bring them into the room, let them have the voice in the room, share their ideas? And I think that's how you help people of color, women, underrepresented groups to get into those environments. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Daniel. Yeah. I've never yeah. met him before, yeah. but sounds yeah. like a great leader. He's a, he's a force. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So one of the things that I'm most excited about is that those leaders that have been advocates mentors, sponsors, Mm -hmm. you easily remember who they are, Mm -hmm. even though you might not have just woke up this morning and was like, hey, let me make sure I mention Daniel. Like, you'll always remember those people Mm -hmm. because of the impact that they've made. There's so many new leaders that are joining organizations right now, right? Like, there's a whole wave of leaders that are retiring or sunsetting at the end of their careers. Where does someone learn that if they don't have a Daniel or they don't have a Robin or they don't have a Jennifer? Like, how would you tell them to go find those types of traits that being a people first leader? Because clearly, if Daniel wasn't people first, he wouldn't have invited you to the room. Right. Yeah. There's so much content today, too, right? Like, yeah. I think there's a lot you can engage with. And so, I mean, I think looking for those things and then looking for people within your organization that embody that and starting to talk to them, reach out to them, don't be shy. You know, I mean, I know it's not easy all the time, but there are people that, embody that today that I would suggest people reach out to build a relationship. And most people will give of their time. You know, if you sit down and take somebody to lunch or breakfast or coffee and ask what's their philosophy and how do they go about it? I mean, I learned it from watching others and being in the room. I think the most important thing is being in the room and and observing what's happening Mm -hmm. um, and asking for help in doing that. A lot of people are afraid to ask for help or ask for that. And I mean, I think that's a key one is and maybe that's a plug for like, you can't underestimate how important it is to have that like real life experience. I think the pandemic like forced a lot of us to work from home and behind screens. And you think about all of the young talent that are coming in today. They yeah. don't have the exposure to shadow, to be in a room, to see how maybe Robin or Jennifer or Donald like handled a certain situation. And I really think that that's key. So like as much as you can think about the moments that matter to bring and or be present in those things for the yeah. young talent, I think is super important. And then if you can, you know, one of the things that I've always enjoyed is LinkedIn does a lot of great work with really tremendous leaders like Bob Iger or Angela Ahrens, who's on our board. Like yeah. whenever I've watched them or read their book, like I literally find myself going like, someday I want to be like that. You know, someday I want to think like that. So you have to kind of be a student, too, yeah. of what it takes to be a leader, to make decisions, to think about, like, the whole picture as you go forward, and, and then think about, like, how is that going to work with the people that you have around you? Yeah. This commitment to always learning. You said be a student. I remember when I finally finished uh, my master's, I was like, yes, I'm never going back to school. <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, no, you just find different ways to learn. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, um, it's not as, like, traditional anymore. But, yeah. you know, in our business, our industry, I mean, we're always on the cutting edge. We're always on the emerging tech. And, you know, for myself, I've been in it 20-plus more than that years. If, like, for some reason I'm like, oh, I don't care about the metaverse. Like, I don't want to learn about that. <laughs> I push myself yeah. to say, okay, I've got to care because that's the next thing. 
And we're going to have to attract and work with talent who understand that. So especially like as you sort of evolve, you really have to make sure that you're connected to like what's new, but also like what the people who are going to be joining the organization are coming in with. Yeah. For those trying to do the math, Robin graduated at 15 from college. <laughs> so when she says 20 years, yeah, she's, when still, I say 20 she's still years, quite I'm a young still leader. stuck in yeah. the past. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Jennifer, help me out. So it's not always wins and successes all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you be vulnerable with the listeners a little bit? Mm-hmm. What, what challenges mm-hmm. have either questioned or validated you as a people-first leader? There's been lots of challenges over the last few years, right? Like getting through COVID, I think, mm. as a leader, was a really difficult moment. And I moved to New York March of 2020. So I landed here and, you know, everything's shutting down and I'm, you know, in this new big role. And everybody in our roles, we we're trying to figure out how do we support people, right? Yep. And it was super, super challenging. And trying to find your way through it and trying to lead through that moment was, I think, one of the biggest challenges I've ever had in my life. And trying to stand up in the face of fear, you know, that I was feeling for me, you know, personally and my family and moving. But you can't, you have to sort of lead through that and not, and try to make people feel calm and like, we've got this. We were all just trying to figure it out. So you fast forward to today, what I learned through that is people are a lot more resilient than I ever thought. We, we were all collectively so much more resilient than we thought we could be. Yeah. And I think the silver lining is that I think a lot of us have learned to live our lives a little bit differently to give more time to family, taking care of ourselves. You know, if you look at the statistics, people really do care more about those things than they did pre-pandemic. And so how do we build that into the work experience today? I think there's an opportunity to really think more deeply about it. But yeah, it was a very, very challenging moment. I appreciate the vulnerability. (laughs) I think so often, like, there's this misconception that leaders have to always be put together yeah. and that we always, we don't struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take it a step further for people teams, because we have to be yep. the supporters or empowerers or encouragers of the organization, it often means that we put ourselves last. And so uh, thank you for being vulnerable in that yeah. moment. You know, I'll, I'll share one more story because I think on the whole topic of being vulnerable. I remember November last year, okay. I had been in this job, you know, just at a year I was traveling all over the world. I was in a steep learning curve and I, and I was not putting myself first. And so I was in Berlin at a board meeting. And I remember it was like the second day of the board meeting and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, I don't know. Like, I was just exhausted. So I literally went to my hotel room and I was really upset about doing it. I was like, what are people going to think of me? I didn't want to leave sick. I didn't want to step away. I didn't go to the dinner that night. And I really was kind of beating myself up up, over it. I went and got my pajamas, ordered room service and slept. And the next day I woke up and I felt like myself again. And I had a people town hall, like it was a global people town hall. And I shared that story and I shared it because I wanted people to know that you do need to take care of yourself first. And it happens to all of us. I got more notes from that comment than I have probably from anything I've done. Because People saw themselves in that, Mm -hmm. and they felt like it was okay for them to have that moment too. So I think as a leader, it is important to be vulnerable and to share those stories and come back from it. I totally agree with you. I think the skill set of what it takes to be a people-first leader, especially or today leader, Mm -hmm. is very different from what we were told leaders were supposed to be in the past. So this idea around like vulnerability and empathy and trust, these things are like defaults now for folks to be able to be successful as leaders. Where in the past, those things were not encouraged inside of the workplace. 
I guess my question for you, Robin, is mm-hmm. what are some other traditions or old ways of thinking or old ways of navigating that you've seen that you've challenged as a leader? Oh, that's a good question. I would say that I've seen a lot of leaders, and we maybe talked about this before. I think that they feel like they have to take on everything and they have to be the front facing person that takes on everything for their team. And I've, you know, definitely seen that either one, they've put themselves into a position where they can't be successful or they don't have all of the skills to really think about how to be that only person. And two, like it disenfranchises their team, right? Mm -hmm. So Jennifer and I had a situation last year where we had this big initiative going on and it wasn't going well. And the team members were like, you know, this person who's leading, they're, they're not including us. We have something to say, but we're not being heard. And so we had to kind of step in and sort of help the situation. But hopefully for some of those people that were in the midst of all of it, they saw that Jennifer and I were step in and try to kind of make it right and try to work towards a better sort of situation. But I think for me, it just brought out again, like when you're a leader, you got to have the wherewithal to be inclusive, to give the right people an opportunity to do their jobs. And then, you know, as Jennifer said before, like give people the floor, you know, give people an opportunity to say what they need to say even if they're not presenting in the way that you expected them to present, you still have to be open and willing to kind of do that. The employees today expect more out of their leaders and they're not going to be happy and they're not going to stay if they feel sort of like constrained or they feel like they're only doing the work behind the scenes. So hopefully, you know, people learn the hard way, but hopefully they start to see like, okay, I'm going to do this differently next time. Yeah. I think creating space for other people yeah. Not taking credit for the, their work, but creating space for them to grow is a sign of a people-first leader. Mm-hmm. And I consider it an honor to be able to have talked to both of you around people-first leadership. This is amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for WPP allowing you all to create some time in your calendar. And I know people are going to want to follow up with you all on like all of the great things. <laughs> so we'll make sure inside of the show notes... We'll make sure we give them a link to your LinkedIn so they can come chat with you. But from the bottom of my heart, Robin and Jennifer, thank you. Thank Thank you. you. We had a great time. Absolutely. Thank you you so much, Jennifer and Robin of WPP, for joining me today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. And if you really like what you heard, give the show a follow and share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network. Our producer is Brittany Martinez. Our supporting producer is Sarah Schleed. And our production assistant is Lila Watts. Our greenhouse producer is Marnie Williams. And remember, keep putting people first.